It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 5. I'm your host, Duncan. Joining me as always is Gardner. Oh boy, folks. The Force is with us this week. And joining us today is a very, very special guest who, Gardner, would you like to introduce to the audience? Absolutely. Everyone, please, in your car or in your AirPods, wherever you're listening to this, give a big round of applause for my big sister, Gemma. Hey, everyone. So excited. A little nervous, but mostly excited. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us today. We're excited to get into all of our thoughts on Kenobi Part 5. But before we do that, let's quickly recap what we do here on GDT. On this podcast, we talk about movies and TV shows we love and interview independent filmmakers. Every Friday, we have our full episode where Gardner and I interview an independent filmmaker or someone else related to the filmmaking process. Those interviews are really insightful, at least for us as the hosts, and we hope for the audience as well. So check out the Friday episodes for those full-length interviews. And on top of that, we have three bonus episodes a week, which start on Monday, where Niatfa hosts currently a miniseries where we talk about nostalgia, the short film that a couple of hosts of GDT are working on. If you want to learn more about that, check out those Monday episodes to find out what the hell I'm talking about. On Tuesdays, we have another bonus episode where we have our Marvel podcasting universe, where hosts CB, myself, Mac, and Jalen go through the MCU movie by movie. This week, we released our episode on Wednesday instead of Tuesday, but it was still the MPU Marvel Podcasting Universe episode, and it was on Captain America, the first Avenger. Before that, we've done all the MCU films leading up to that, and next week, we are doing Avengers. We'll continue to go through the MCU movie by movie, but anytime there's a new superhero property, meaning a Marvel, DC, or independent superhero movie or TV show that comes out, we'll also be recapping that on those Tuesday episodes. So stay tuned for a Boys Season 3 recap, uh, Thor 4 inserted into your MCU, not necessarily in the order it was come out, but because it's a new movie, we'll be reviewing that one when it comes out, and other things like Ms. Marvel, etc. As they come out, those will be on those Tuesday episodes. So stay tuned for those. Our final bonus episode of the week is this, your Thursday episode, where we talk about a new TV show, a new movie, something relevant, or we have a guest on to talk about a movie or TV show they want to discuss. Right now, these Thursday episodes are focused on Obi-Wan Kenobi, as we are doing a miniseries that we go through weekly the episodes that are released. That show drops on Wednesdays, and then our episodes drop on Thursdays. So if you've missed them, we've done parts one through four already, and this is part five. Next week will be the last one, part six, and afterwards we'll get back to another relevant show, movie, or something else. That's what we do on GDT. So now it's time for this episode, where we will be discussing Obi-Wan Kenobi, part five. Big spoiler warning for this show, this episode of this show, all prior episodes of this show, any movie, TV show, animated or live action that has come out and any book, comic, anything else, anything's fair game, spoilers ahead. So if there's anything you're worried about Star Wars related, then go catch up with it, turn this off, and then get back to us later. 
For everyone else, that was your spoiler warning for Kenobi Part 5, all of Kenobi, and anything Star Wars related. Now that we've done that, we can get into the nitty gritty of the episode, but we obviously, like I said, have done Parts 1 through 4 with various other guests, but our audience has heard from Gardner and I how we feel about all of those episodes. They have not heard from you, Gemma. So... Can you share with us your general feelings of parts one through four up to this episode, how you were feeling about this show? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. A number one. Also, it's just so cool to see Leia and just see her as a child and see kind of the maturity that she had at such a young age. It's it's so interesting to see how they're portraying that in this show. Also, just kind of cool to see what normal people were doing for the last 15 years on Tatooine and just kind of see what happened to this planet that we all know so well from so many different shows and movies. And so that's been been really cool. And then just getting to see Anakin and those, uh, we'll get into it more, but some of the, the cool things that we saw in this, this episode. And I mean, just Darth Vader being a badass always cool to see so that's been super awesome so yeah i i just i love it i'm absolutely stoked about it and just really cool to see some of these main characters from the uh, prequels coming back in so i've loved every single second of it so far all right well perfect time to transition into our broad initial thoughts of this episode part five and again we'll start with you sounds like you're ready to talk about it so what did you think of this episode in particular yeah thought it was really interesting i think i I wrote down a lot of notes just about the flashbacks um and so kind of getting to see obi-wan and anakin back together again and you know some of those snippets that we we didn't get to see in the prequels was really really cool and you know we're we're still on a on a mission so just kind of seeing that play out was was really awesome and i think just broadly leia being able to to take on a, a task and really you know make a difference in in the situation that we're in again was really cool to see so and the origin story of reva just super super interesting as well so loved kind of all of the the connections that we're starting to see with all of these characters and you know the new storylines that are now opening up also Sweet. And we'll get into some of the specifics of it for sure as we talk about this episode. Gardner, what are your broad thoughts of Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 5? I loved it. I was I was blown away. I woke up at 3.05 a.m. this morning to watch it as soon as it came out because I knew I had to get to work and do all this stuff during the day. And I just had a feeling penultimate episode. This is going to be a big one. And from that opening shot where it pans back and you see Anakin's Padawan braid and you're like, oh, shit, this is episode two, Anakin and Obi-Wan. From then on, I was just glued to the screen. So much great payoff in this episode. Like you said, Gemma, Reva's backstory, finally getting that paid off. That was something that had kind of been bugging me up until now. Great action, great character moments. I mean, everyone's going to focus on the flashbacks, but I thought the stuff on Jabim was really, really strong as well with Tala and Leia and Reva and Obi-Wan in particular. I really thought that stuff was strong. But yeah, I mean, I, I, this might be my favorite episode of the show so far. I've already watched it twice. I might go for a third, maybe not tonight, but probably before the end of the week. I mean, wow. High praise. Sounds good. I definitely agree with you guys. I will second that it's definitely my favorite episode so far. It's, again, one of those episodes where I feel like if you have a complaint about this one, you're 
definitely allowed to, but I don't know what the show is ever going to do for you then if this isn't doing it for you, which I guess sound off. Let us know. I'm a big Kenobi guy and this is what I would have needed from them to do. But to me, I'm like, okay. And I was already hooked. Like I've said in the past, I'm in on this character and this portrayal of the character, but it's got him training with Anakin. Like we mentioned already, it's got him doing some negotiating slash sacrificing as well. It's got him working with the rebels. It's like quintessential Obi-Wan. And it's also got some lightsaber action in it too. It's got the donning of the Grand Inquisitor twice in the same episode, the shutting up of anyone who had to complain about that in the past, which was, again, very obvious that there was ways to come back from that. And he even has a line about how revenge, and we'll get to that, helps you stay alive. But everything about it. And then, like you mentioned, Gemma, that Leia is already an integral part of this rebellion and doing things like, I need a ladder or whatever. That I'm going to need a ladder is just such a great line. And again, anyone who was complaining about this portrayal of Leia, this actor is doing an amazing job. That sass was perfect where it's like she's right like she like and obi-wan agrees with her but she's just like all right well i'm gonna like like just very matter of the fact it's perfect so everything for me was perfect for this episode got good portrayals of all the characters but yeah we can get into the specifics of it yeah i mean well let's talk about that opening throwing us right into it with the kind of training sequence between anakin and obi-wan and then cutting directly from that to darth vader on the ship above jabim ready to go in i love throughout the episode the use of flashbacks to show how well obi-wan and anakin know each other and how that in particular that duel comes back into their kind of back and forth throughout this episode my god at, at first i i thought this was going to be a, a more vader centric episode and it does have like really great vader moments but i loved what they did with Riva from the very beginning with donning her as the grand inquisitor kind of that that definitely had a lot of people who weren't quite sure of the fate of the grand inquisitor is rebels going to be decanonized what's going to go on here that had them definitely confused as to what was going to happen and just the way that all played out in her arc not just through the series but through this episode in particular i thought was really really strong now i was just going to say her character development over the last two episodes but specifically this one is just unbelievable and i'm so glad that we're not losing her because if we had lost her for the rest of the show that might have been my one complaint but i'm really glad we're not so her i mean absolutely just incredible and and the fact that i mean vader knows the whole time i don't know if i'm skipping ahead or what kind of like how y'all like to do this but we can jump around yeah the whole story from start to finish on on her character is just chef's kiss yeah i enjoyed the opening for sure obviously we've already mentioned that right when you see that opening shot you're excited and you're like okay yeah this is where we're going with it and i felt like what was really convincing me that there was going to be some sort of flashback like this not necessarily like the thick of the Clone Wars or something like that, but something more sedated, which is fine with me, but maybe not with other people who are more rabid for something else. But what was selling me that there was going to be something was how much Hayden Christensen was in the news and stuff, because there are like four people doing the Darth Vader stuff. And most of it isn't him because any 
action is not to just like shit on him as like how his involvement in it but just so like people know any like action fight where they're dueling is one guy any shot where it's his full body is another guy and then anything like a close-up is Hayden Christensen from my understanding at least and that's from one of the guys I would wish I had his name right now but he was the one who went and kind of outed Disney for not really paying them for a lot of stuff and a lot of other stuff so you can look into that if you want any audience members but he kind of said that any close-up shot would be Hayden and stuff like that and obviously Hayden crafted the character in the past by being Anakin but that's what kind of made me think that there was going to be something like this and it's cool to see it and I like that it plays in kind of like Quantico style if anyone see that show where what they're training in the past lines up with what they're dealing doing that day so like in that show it'll go like episode by episode is a different week in their training and that week's training thing is relevant to what they're doing in the present so very similar to how they were flashing here and i liked that they were both remembering it it seemed like at least that's the way it was presented to you editing style but my interpretation is that they were both at various points of this episode recalling that same interaction so cool stuff and yeah i like the reva stuff as well definitely wonder what certain people's reactions were at the beginning of this episode or even then maybe but definitely at the beginning i agree with everything said like definitely glad that she'll be around and potential for a show out of her apparently i don't know how much that was bs or not we'll have to see how the finale goes i really don't see it going all that well for her especially with the ending of this episode but i just want to say hayden back as not just Darth vader but as anakin skywalker was ethereal i don't know about y'all but i felt like i was 10 years old again seeing him just step right back into that character so naturally and he just is that character the mannerisms and and i I like that they didn't uh de-age them i don't i don't know i i if people have a problem with that but i think it would have been distracting and to me i hardly even noticed uh that he's you know in his 40s now there was only one real shot where it stuck out to me which is the order 66 scene where the glow of the lightsaber on his face you can kind of see some of the wrinkles but that's if you're looking like really closely i think overall that was the right choice not to de-age to let the performance live on your screen as it was delivered and just holy shit (laughs) i don't know what else i can say it was just a beautiful moment well and i think it was interesting too the anakin that we got to see from hayden in that this really reminded me of like a lot of the clone wars anakin because he is more mature you know he still obviously has some issues with wanting to win right but um, in, in the methods that he goes about doing that. But I think it was really interesting because we saw kind of this different Anakin that we didn't get to see in the prequels and that, you know, we kind of miss in the live action. And so it was really exciting to see that and their interactions as they've both grown a little bit. And it, it really deepens the tragedy of the current situation. Yeah. And I was going to say specifically that I also appreciate they didn't de-age him and obviously star wars has a habit of doing that whether people think they're doing it correctly or not i have said in the past that i generally don't have an issue with it i'm repeating myself now but some of the earlier ones that were criticized were leia and tarkin early on and both those i was like fucking works for me to be honest i was blown away by movie magic in both those instances so for me it's always kind of been fine and i do notice it actually weirdly more now and maybe it's because they're letting them stay on screen longer now and have more movement now that's probably why but the more recent complaints about like a robotic luke i've been more like okay actually i'm on board with seeing it now a little bit i get those complaints but having him back 
it would seem a kick in the nuts to then de-age him as well. And he looks the same. It's not like there's any differences. And I wouldn't even say that I noticed. I, I noticed it maybe one shot in the fight or duel between him and Obi-Wan, not even at the end, like you said, with the Order 66. And I didn't even notice it in a way where I was like, oh, well, that's jarring. I noticed it and like, oh, good. They didn't do that. That's good. It didn't take me out at all. It was more so if they hadn't done it in the past, I wouldn't have even noticed because it wouldn't have been a thought. You know what I mean? Like, I only noticed they didn't do it because I know they do do it often. And that's the only thing that stood out to me. Not that it looked weird or anything, especially when it's been that long. It's not like you'd have to be watching episode two or something watch this then like watch episode three and be like wait a minute he's jumping back and forth ages and stuff like that you know what i mean it'd have to be something like that where you're really getting into the nitty-gritty of it and trying to look for issues with it where i think staunch haters of star wars will give them credit for not de-aging hayden christensen here and their only complaint will be well they should have shown you more hayden christensen earlier on because that's been one complaint that i have seen that they haven't really done a lot with him in this series for all the promotional upside they got from wheeling him around it's almost like he was like a monkey that they were making do tricks and stuff you know and he wasn't really that involved in it as much as they were saying which i want them to loud him if he was and stuff like that i want him to get all the credit he can but if they're kind of just using it to their advantage disney i can see the complaint there and we'll see if there's even more in episode six but i liked his involvement in this opening scene and i like whatever he does do with darth vader i like that they let him wear the suit whatever it's practical to because like he's not a seven foot guy or close to seven foot tall so it makes sense for like full body shots for example to use that guy who is that tall or close to that height a little bit of a digression there i just do appreciate that they did that with him and i like that hating christian because again we're all i guess i don't want to speak for you Gemma, because i've only spoke to gardener about this in the past so i i feel comfortable because he's actually said it on the podcast before but we're of the age where the prequels didn't bother us when they happened we weren't like oh hayden christensen bad acting or oh jar jar binks annoying character we were like star wars holy shit fun shit lightsabers this is awesome there was never any hatred for at least me and gardner towards hayden christensen so it is cool to see in the public eye that redemption in general but i would just like to see more of this in general not because i'm like oh i need more clone wars flashbacks or anything like that but more so just for his sake and like seeing more him being able to bring stuff to the character because like you said he is anakin in the sense that we hadn't ever met anakin other than you can argue i guess in that dying breath right when he takes the helmet off you can argue he's back to anakin there he's no longer darth vader potentially but we had never met anakin before darth vader until he really gave it to him because i mean no offense to jake lloyd or anything but that's not the fully developed anakin that's a kid just like leia has traits of leia you're not an adult yet you're not a person who is making fully conscious moral absolute decisions you're more thinking like a child is thinking just like jake lloyd zanakin and i still don't know the name of the actor who plays leia they're making child decisions where they don't fully understand the situation so a little bit of a rant on hating christensen being dope and wanting more of him and hoping that maybe this spins off into something where there's some flashback i mean why not honestly why not do everyone's screaming for it they love fan service why not do some clone wars live action flashback i don't know just throwing it out there that would be amazing would love some live action clone wars flashback um but totally agree yeah hayden christensen was like you know i almost think that the prequels to us as were the, the original star wars to the you know folks that saw them in theaters as kids our age in the 80s like i almost think this is gonna be a hot take weird take but like hayden christensen is our mark hamill so 100 yeah yeah and i think you can tell honestly like obviously knowing 
from the body doubles who do Vader in this series, having them having leaked like when it's Hayden in the suit and when it's not. But I do think you can kind of tell from the body language when they do those chest up shots of Vader, there is just a quality that Hayden brings to the physicality that you can tell like that's Hayden. And I'm with you, Duncan. I I, I wish I, I hope he's not getting the short end of the stick here in being wheeled around for promotion and everything. And then he's in, you know, I think those flashback scenes when you splice them all together, they're like two and a half minutes. So I hope he gets more shine than just that in the finale. And I hesitate to advocate for more Star Wars media within the timeline of the Skywalker saga, because I do think that it's important for the franchise to grow and to survive that we get out of this timeline. However, people like fan service, if it, if it keeps drawing interest to the franchise and brings new people to love it and keeps it alive, I'd be super down for like a Vader series, True Detective season three style, where we're flashing back and forth between timelines or Quantico style or Lost style. Uh, you know, when we're doing stuff like that, where it pertains to the whatever current day predicament he's in, I think that would even be a great way to tie into Ahsoka. Cause I know there were, there was a leak, maybe not a leak, maybe just a rumor that Hayden may or may not show up in that show. And then if we're looking for Thrawn in that show, then if you've read the Thrawn books, you know that Thrawn and Anakin have an adventure together around the time of the Clone Wars. So there's a lot that could potentially still be provided to Hayden to keep this character of Anakin alive because it is so validating for people of our generation who grew up seeing these movies in the theaters. Hayden was our Mark Hamill. I never had a problem with Hayden's performance when I was growing up until I got on the internet and people told me I wasn't supposed to like it. And now seeing people just embrace that they like the things that they like is so heartwarming and fuck, you know, I, I, I do want more High Republic stuff. I want more Old Republic stuff. I want us to move maybe past the end of the sequel trilogy uh, and go forward in the timeline. But if it's quality, if it's well-written, if we've got good performances and good characters, I'm here for it. Yeah, and for me, it's only because I have to agree with you. Obviously, they should expand more and they're limiting themselves. But when it comes down to actors like Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, there's only so long that we can have them play these characters because they turn into like we said we have nine more years until he's got to be much older and you mcgregor's not getting that old well he's getting that old he's not getting to look that old because i don't know what it is actors just don't age especially oh, i know what it is they had a lot of money and uh, whatever but there's only so long and hayden christensen hasn't had the career that someone like you and mcgregor you mcgregor doesn't need to come back this is cool it's great for us but hayden christensen hasn't had that great of a career afterwards not meant as an insult to him but more as an insult to the industry taking the side of fans i guess in the same way that people felt that rose was sidelined in episode nine and they took the side of toxic fandom there it felt like the hollywood industry decided that after i guess jumper was the last Roll of the die, really, where he was a leading man. And I'll stand up for that movie, too. I think it's a fun movie as well. But he is always doing what you ask him. He was never doing a, a poor job as Anakin, for example. But definitely cool because there's only so long, like I said, that we can have them play these parts. But I do agree with you. We want to see them do more in the Star Wars universe outside of this 
time period. Yeah, they're going to have to like stock up on flashbacks for the next year or so. Like go ahead and just, yeah, for Soka, like there's got to be some Clone Wars flashbacks in there somewhere if we're keeping him, I'm hoping. Fingers crossed, Soka would. I think it's inevitable. And I I know there's got to be some people who are disappointed that we didn't have Ahsoka like in this episode with these flashbacks. But personally, I'm glad about that. I I love the character of Ahsoka. Don't get me wrong. I think Ahsoka is a great character. But the focus of this show should be on Obi-Wan and his relationship with Anakin and Darth Vader. And I mean, it's called Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ahsoka wasn't Obi-Wan's Padawan. She was Anakin. So let's focus on that relationship between the two of them. And that's why I think uh, this episode is is the best one yet is because that is the core focus in particular. It, It has been pretty much throughout the whole series, but they really brought it to the forefront with this episode. And I just... I loved it. And and I I love how their relationship is shown to affect others in the universe, not just with the group of rebels, but the conversation between Reva and Obi-Wan through the door, I thought was fantastic, heartbreaking. I think, you know, called it not that I, <laughs> not that I'm all that special for calling it because I think a lot of people are like oh yeah she's the girl in the very first opening minutes of the show but I just I really love that payoff and I love seeing again how their relationship and Obi-Wan's failure not just affects him but other people in the galaxy as well and I did want to shout out because I found his name Demetrius Bistrevsky is the actor who played Darth Vader and complained about Disney not fairly compensating. I don't say complained like as a negative connotation towards him. I'm saying spoke out is a better way to phrase it about Disney not fairly compensating actors who maybe aren't at the forefront of their series like stuntmen. I always want to see stunt people get more recognition. So definitely want to say to Dimitri, if you're listening, Dimitri, I doubt it. But I want to say, you know, that is not cool. That treatment that they definitely deserve more recognition for the work that they put in because 99% of these productions would not happen without the work of the stunt people. Yeah. So I like when we get into the generals of the episode and how we feel about it, but let's tie a little bit into the plot as the attack is happening on Jabim. So like we said, obviously, Reva is sent down and she talks to Obi-Wan through the door and it's revealed as we're referencing that she is, in fact, one of the younglings that we see in the first episode. Again, not a shocker. We called that early on, but a little graphic not to get too real world. Obviously, a warning was added to the beginning of this series after the fact that when it was first released, the fact that obviously Reva pretended to be dead, I thought was really relevant and bone chilling, honestly. And it was shot before any recent tragedies, but there obviously is the well-known story of someone doing that and literally splattering themselves with someone's blood to appear like they were dead. So really real world bone shattering kind of crazy parallel there but i liked that she didn't really blame obi-wan and it was more of a i'm working against darth vader this whole time i want to bring up my one nitpick of the whole episode that again whenever i say a nitpick it's not like i'm watching i'm like well this ruins it or even that i'm taking any points off for it in this but obviously we know 
the real nitpick is that it still suffers from prequel syndrome. Just at the end of the day, we know certain characters are getting out. So there's no worry for certain characters, but you have to get past that. And that's fine. I, I'll bring that up just because, yes, that's something that, that's there. But when she's sneaking up on him, I feel like, and they do this a lot where someone like screams, or they say, I gotcha, right before they do it. The wave of the lightsaber into him, wouldn't you just have it stuck and then turn it on while it's like, so that once it turns on, it's already through him? That's what I would have done is all I'm saying. Yeah. And I think we've seen Anakin do that before in previous, in Clone Wars, right? Like we've seen him pull that trick before. And so it is interesting because I was thinking about, and maybe I'll know more about this, but thinking about the Inquisitors as a whole and like, are they an order? Are they a knighthood? Like, how does this work? Because that kind of entire fight made me think of how did, how was she trained, you know, after the temple? Like where, where did she get kind of this background? And maybe that's just kind of a, obviously Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker is one of the most powerful force users that we've ever seen, but, you know, just kind of that maybe a little bit lack of, of, or gap in her training and kind of that impacted her fighting style against, again, one of the most powerful, <laughs> like, characters in the start, entire Star Wars universe, so. Yeah, the easy answer to that is that if she had gotten to that position, he wouldn't have let her turn it on using the force or whatever. He would have let her get it into that position in the first place. It's just to me, that's how you would try at least. He would still get away with it by stopping you, especially since we find out that he knew the entire time. And I totally believe him when he says that. Although that is interesting that then if you thought she was dead at the beginning and you knew this entire, like, how can you not pick up on Leia a little bit? I don't know. The kid, the kid part is like, well, what, what can you pick up on with it? What can't you? Yeah, but again, not really nitpicking there, but I do like that he was aware of it the whole time was like, yeah, I'll let you, while you're useful, do what you want. Think you're getting away with it. Think you're going to get back at me. You're never going to get back at me. I think, I think the Inquisitors are lightly trained, but in a very Sith way, they're never trained to the level where they can surpass their master, right? And they're often encouraged, as, as this show has done a pretty good job, I think, could have done a little bit better but it's done a decent job of, of showing there's always infighting they're like a group of brats who, who don't get along and they all want power and they're all uh going after the title of grand inquisitor to be in charge right that is a tool that is used to manipulate them uh like snoke says in uh episode eight i think he's, he's talking to kylo and he's like you know why i keep a rabid cur around when he when he's talking about Hux. And he says, uh, a Kerr's weakness when properly manipulated can be a sharp tool, right? So the, the need for power, the lust to get one over on the next person can be manipulated into a way that they think they're serving their own goals, but they're really serving your goals. And I think that is kind of the way that they manipulate the Inquisitors is is because they're not Sith. They're dark side users, but they're not Sith. So, you know, the carrot is being dangled in front of them of some level of power and authority, but it's it's always pulled along before they can get to it to keep them spinning their wheels. And I will say, Duncan, you're right about the prequel syndrome with Vader. We know she's not going to get one over on Vader, but that is why it's important to introduce a new character like Reva, because we don't know what her fate is going to be. Uh, like I've said, since we started this series, She's really interesting because we just don't know the way her story plays out. So I was 
very, very invested in that scene. Not because I thought Darth Vader had any chance of losing that battle. I knew he was going to give her the work, and he did. I mean, it was amazing. He barely used a lightsaber at all. But I was wondering what was going to happen to her, especially after her motivation had been explained, which I thought was done in a really, really good way. I don't know. I just, I think... Yeah, prequel syndrome is something that is going to exist for a lot of these like fill in the gap uh, Star Wars stories. But the inclusion of the new character is something that made it so that there's still tension. Also, shout out to Haja Estri. I like that we got to see him again. What are your thoughts on Vader handing her back the lightsaber? I was cold as fuck. Yeah, I watched it the second time. It was just teasing her. Right. And I was like, he's giving her a shot. Why? He's giving her the illusion of a shot. He's saying, yeah, he throws it a lightsaber. He's like, yeah, try it. You don't stand a chance. That's that's Vader toying with his food like he was doing with Obi-Wan in episode three or part three. Excuse me. Yeah. And just to go back to the mention of dangling the carrot in front of them, it's very much like what the Jedi Order unknowingly was doing to Anakin. So there are parallels between him then then and the Inquisitors now, which obviously the Inquisitors came about a little bit earlier because from my understanding, Palpatine knew to send Cad Bane to get some younglings before Order 66, from my understanding. And from there, trained them. And once they became actual Inquisitors, though, you would think Vader's kind of involved in that. So I would think that maybe his past is rubbing off a little bit on the way to make them kind of rub off against each other and mad at each other, like you were saying, and get them into that sense. But I do love, like you were saying, the toying with her and throwing her the lightsaber. I noticed that immediately and was like, fuck yeah, that's badass. That's the villain we want. I just loved also like um, my grandfather, like grandson, the stopping the blade with the force and just pushing her away. And when she goes to swing at him and he does the little movement where he puts his hand up and then to the side and just pushes the blade out of the way. All I could think about was uh, the duel between Ray and Kylo in episode nine on Kef Beer when she goes to swing at him and he just stops her saber with the force. I was like, yeah, that that just we need to see more of that. I think it just shows how powerful and intimidating Vader is with the force. Like when I was watching it, I was like, yeah, that's the chosen one. That is the most powerful motherfucker in the galaxy, particularly when he a lot of a lot of episode nine parallels when he when he pulls the dummy ship out of the sky. I was thinking, oh, Ray, with the, the transport that she thought Chewbacca was in in episode nine, just reaching up, grabbing it with one hand, yanking it down out of the sky. Of course, Kylo is doing the same thing at the same time. Just I love when Star Wars is awesome duels, but also incredible displays of force power. Because it's like, yeah, this is a fantasy series about wizards with laser swords. Let's not forget that. Let's let's put that a little bit more at the forefront. And that was something that I really, really loved about this episode in particular. Well, and I thought it was cool, too, because when Obi-Wan says, you know, you don't need a weapon to fight, it's got a few meanings in that. You know, obviously you can weaponize someone's anger and their emotions and pretty much set them in the right direction. And then also force wielding. Yeah, that was a big thing that stuck out to me during that fight, if not the thing, was how he was just manipulating her with the force without even needing his lightsaber at points and or a lightsaber at points and just that hand motion where he up into the side was fucking sick like you were saying Gardner so whole thing was badass I loved that scene obviously I loved 
Obi-Wan, I feel like, is getting a little overshadowed in this episode because there's so much great Vader stuff and getting to see Hayden Christensen as Anakin again is is so exciting. But I do want to touch on Obi-Wan's interactions with Reva also. The way that he he says, you're not bringing him to me, uh, I'm bringing him to you. And the way that he also manipulates that situation, you know, Anakin has to have learned it from somebody. And the idea that you don't, like we were saying, a weapon is not just a lightsaber or a blaster. It's using someone else's weaknesses against them, which is great because that is what um, I believe Vader is like the I think the, the Grand Inquisitor answers to Vader. Right. So he those are like his guys. And he's supposed to be like the master manipulator. And this is Obi-Wan coming in and being like, still your master, bitch, <laughs> you know, and then he manipulates him that way, which I think also we've talked a little bit about that line in episode four in this series where he says, you know, when I left you, I was uh, the learner. Now I am the master or, or something along those lines. I think they're doing a good job at recontextualizing that and saying like, yeah, Vader's really powerful and he's a scary motherfucker, but he's still getting outplayed by Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is still the master in this situation. Uh, and I think that's a really, really clever writing job that they've done to maintain that continuity. Because that's something that a lot of people were very nervous about going into the show when they told us that there were going to be showdowns between the two characters. Yeah, I mean, I think that the quote he has in the end of the flashback of your need to prove yourself is going to be your own undoing. Like he knows him inside and out. And he knows that he's always going to leave with aggression. He's always going to leave with anger. And Obi-Wan has always just been like slippery. He's just, he's just a strategist. Like he's always thinking on his feet. And so we've seen that throughout the entire series thus far of this man seems to be able to slip out of literally anything at this point and you know kind of is always able to to find a solution and it was so interesting to just see how those flashbacks play absolutely in parallel with just the entire way that Obi-Wan and Anakin interacted throughout this entire episode and just the history that they have even like you said with Anakin or Vader becoming like one of the most powerful force users he's still one to two steps ahead of him and I love that they paralleled the lightsaber battle with the flashbacks with a battle of wits in the present day you know it would have been pretty easy to do a side-by-side intercutting of a lightsaber battle with a lightsaber battle but instead they do that with a chess game essentially and how those rules still apply i thought that was brilliant yeah and i do think a lot of the focus i guess is on the dark side users of this episode but obi-wan and leia who's played by vivian lira blair i did look that up as well needed to shout out both the actors whose names i didn't know both do a great job and are well written i think in this episode even if they're not the focus of it and i don't want to hear people complaining about obi-wan not being the focus of the obi-wan show because this is the story of obi-wan and like you said it's showing him outwitting him for sure recontextualizing that i love that insight and that reading of it for sure like you guys said i just think that it's doing a good job of showing us obi-wan and him being obi-wan and being the character we know and 
like we said, recontextualizing it in a better way, which I think is something that Star Wars has actually done a good job of in the past as well. Like people complain about Rogue One, but I think it actually does a great job of filling in holes and recontextualizing some things in episode four in a good way, honestly. So yeah, I like this part. I was wondering, Gemma, I know you took a lot of notes. Do you have anything that you wanted to bring up like note wise that are really big moments in this episode? I think what was really interesting, I was just thinking about this is is Tala's story and how we've seen her kind of throughout the last couple of, of episodes. And again, we're seeing kind of like with, with Finn, you know, the the lies and that the Empire is feeding these folks and just the lack of knowledge that they have in these situations. Her kind of development throughout this series as well and how she's repenting for the sins that she feels like she's committed over the course of, of her life. So it, that was super interesting. But yeah, I, I just think she was a, a really interesting character kind of throughout the last couple of episodes. The other, okay, one thing I was thinking about when they come to shut down the facility, why don't they do an air attack? <laughs> Great question. Plot convenience. <laughs> yeah, I, that was my like one thing. I was like, this could have gone differently. You have a star destroyer, right? You're coming down with two ships, and of course, the dramatic effect is the third one. But it was just funny to me. They're going to just use this one cannon that they brought and put on the ground <laughs> instead of being slightly more effective. It felt like they had more, like the the Imperial remnants had more manpower and firepower to try to get Dinjarin and Grogu in Mandalorian season one finale than showed up to get Obi-Wan Kenobi in this episode. But they, they do a decent job. I mean, it, it's still kind of, and I, I hate using the term plot hole specifically for Star Wars because people use plot hole to just mean anything that they don't like or anything that hasn't been explained yet that will later be explained. Like people were calling Reva knowing who, knowing that Anakin is Darth Vader, a plot hole, like when that was revealed at the end of episode two, it's like, that's not what a plot hole is. But I think they, they've done a decent job establishing that Vader wants Obi-Wan for himself, right? He kind of would go in on foot to try to take Obi-Wan one-on-one rather than just blasting him out of the sky. I don't think he would feel satisfaction from that. He likes to play with his food, you know, and they've also established that well in this show with uh, episode three, the way he toys with Obi-Wan. And then in this episode, the way he toys with Reva, that's just who he is. That's just the kind of villain he is. He's not going to take that easy route of just blasting them out of the sky if he thinks he has a chance at going in on foot and getting them because he's a flashy, dramatic motherfucker. That's how I read it, at least. I think you could still make the argument that it is kind of a plot hole. But. Yeah, well, and I, I think, too, sometimes we have to, or I have to keep reminding myself that this is a TV show and the budgets for the TV shows versus, like, what we see in the movies is very different. <laughs> so I get it. it. And you're right. It does lend itself to, to his desire to play with his food a bit more as well. So Well, plus... At the end of this episode, they're right behind them and they don't have any fuel left to go into hyperspeed. So maybe that'll be explained in episode six where they were planning on that the entire time. That was their backup plan. Like Reva had a backup plan. Maybe. 
Yeah, could be. I'm very interested to see what happens with Riva in the next episode. So we know that, you know, like like the Grand Inquisitor says, which, by the way, I need everyone to shut up and stop complaining about the Grand Inquisitor in this show uh, just because his head isn't long. Rupert Friend is doing an amazing job. He's so creepy. He's so menacing. I loved when he showed up at the end of this episode. And he's what, what did he say? He was like, he doesn't say see you around. but He says something like Grand Inquisitor and like takes the pen off of her and puts it on his chest. Fucking awesome. But it's clear they're going to Tatooine next episode. And I'm just curious how Riva is going to get off planet, get there. And then what is the role of like the other Inquisitors going to be? I don't know. I'm kind of, uh, I got no predictions. Yeah. Well, and I was trying to think, uh, do we see just Riva going to Tatooine? Because I think everybody else is still following the ship. So that could be an interesting option. Obviously, we're, yeah. We, well, we are going all going to the Tatooine since we just saw Luke, I'm guessing. So. Yeah, well, we know Obi-Wan has to go back there. We know Reva knows that there's something there. And I feel like she feels betrayed by Obi-Wan now, in a sense, because uh, she didn't win her battle against Vader. And she's going to lash out and find somebody else to blame. Vader and the Grand Inquisitor are either going to be keeping an eye on Reva and seeing what she's doing, or they're going to be just continuing to follow Obi-Wan directly. There's a few different ways I think that could play out, but I have a feeling those four main characters, Grand Inquisitor, Obi-Wan, Reva, and Darth Vader, are going to all end up on Tatooine in the finale. I almost feel like the Grand Inquisitor and Vader are even adding more fuel to the fire with Reva. Obviously, they're trying to stoke that anger a bit more, that revenge need a bit more. I mean, this line is just amazing. Revenge does wonders for the will to live. Like, come on, that's awesome. So I feel like they're just winding her up again and just going to let her point and shoot. I think so. And it, it goes back to the manipulation of the Inquisitors and Revenge Does Wonders for the Will to Live. That's both a line referencing the Grand Inquisitor himself of wanting revenge against Riva. I think it's also a reference to Riva's survival during Order 66. They implied pretty strongly that she like does get stabbed by Darth Vader right then and there. And then somehow survives by hiding under a Padawan, presumably by tapping into her rage. And that's something we've seen in other Star Wars media as well with Kylo Ren in Episode 7. I'm doing a lot of sequel talk this episode, but fuck y'all, I like the sequels. When he gets shot by Chewie with the bowcaster, and then he's constantly hitting his wound to give himself more power and fuel his pain and fury and rage. That's also how Dark Maul survives in the Clone Wars, uh, his hatred of Kenobi, and he gets the legs, the mechanical spider legs or whatever the fuck uh, he eventually gets. It does feel like they are fucking with her to the extent that, that she leads them to what their end goal is. Well, and too, you can even say that applies to Darth Vader and Anakin, his transition to Darth Vader and his revenge. Everyone has a lot of revenge to take out on Obi-Wan, which is what we're learning in all of this. So that man has to watch over his shoulder at all times. That's why he's so broken at the beginning of the series is because he feels so much guilt over all of that. And I liked that in the last two episodes, really, we've seen that glint kind of come back into his eyes. And I wonder if he won't get beaten back down at about the halfway point of the finale and then find, here's my prediction. I guess we're in predictions territory now. He's going to get beaten down badly at some point in the next episode. And Qui-Gon Jinn is going to appear to him and give him some words of encouragement. And then that's going to give him the glint of in his eyes or the power or whatever he needs to 
finish it and then go back to being a hermit and then eventually take us to the Obi-Wan that we see in episode four, A New Hope. So this is going back a bit in the series, but my, I was questioning in the first couple of episodes when he's saying, Master Qui-Gon, are you there? Whatever he's saying, it's like, dude, do you not meditate? Did you, did you, did you like, are you just talking to the air or (laughs) are we going to try or is the meditation would that potentially attract Grand Inquisitors. I don't know how all that works, but I'm not entirely sure because it's it's the the rules of of Force Ghosts are ever changing. In the original trilogy, Ben Kenobi just shows up and talks to Luke when he feels like it. But Qui Gon, for some reason, has not talked to Obi Wan for these last ten years, and we don't really know why. And then in Episode Eight, Yoda can come in and bring lightning down from the sky and set a tree on fire. So it's it's very ethereal and inconsistent what they can. I don't know why Qui-Gon would not have already come and and spoken to Obi-Wan, maybe because Obi-Wan has been cutting himself off from the Force, which we saw at the beginning of of last episode when they're going to Fortress Inquisitorius. He can barely pull that little flash drive across the table, and of course he tapped into it later in the episode. Maybe now, I mean, we saw him force push the shit out of Riva. This episode has really got his mojo back. I can see now he's connected enough with the Force that he can communicate with Qui-Gon, and I fully expect to see Qui-Gon next episode. Yeah, I almost don't want to see him because for me, it would feel like, where were you, Qui-Gon? And I guess they can explain that, but it does seem like a dick move. And I think I mentioned this on an earlier episode of this miniseries, but where have you been? And especially if he's feeling all this guilt and part of the messaging, I think, is that he shouldn't and he's learning to get over some of the guilt and realize that he's one man who couldn't save everything and did his best. You would think that Qui-Gon would want to step in and let him know of that earlier on. And then if not, then you would think that once he did face off with Anakin after finding out Anakin was alive or even before facing off with him, just finding out that he's alive, Qui-Gon would step in. I don't know. For me, it feels a little bit like there has to be a reason, whether it be Qui-Gon not being that good at it because he had just figured it out and he was the first one to kind of figure it out, from my understanding, in what Yoda says in episode three. I think it's been a while since I've watched that now, so I don't know if I'm remembering that correctly. But you are when he says that maybe it's like he can't come back as much or as often. And it does really need to be a strong connection with the force on obi One's side. And I understand that potentially him cutting off maybe from the force has led to that. I can understand that reasoning, but I feel like then as soon as he's back with the force, which we see he is now, you got it step in Qui-Gon and that's not again like if you didn't step in right away it's a plot hole or a complaint necessarily for me but I just wish that he would from my understanding and my love of those characters from just really episode one because that was again our introduction really to Star Wars I just feel like he was and again that interpretation from whether or not we all agree on it or Star Wars fans in general agree on it but from Dave Filoni where the battle of the fates is really about who's going to raise and train Anakin and that Qui-Gon would have been the one who could have brought him and kept him on the light side that's the Qui-Gon that you would want to be like stepping in 
immediately for his boy Obi-Wan. So I'm fine with it. I'm talking myself into being fine with it and hearing your points out on it. But for me, it's like, where were you, man? I don't know. I want you there for my boy because I love Obi-Wan so much. And I love the relationship that I thought they had. And I felt like they had. And again, they still could have, even with it can be explained. Possibility that he appears to both Obi-Wan and Anakin. Ooh, I hope you do that. That would be very cool. Because I get the sense that Qui-Gon is the kind of master that lets you do as much as he thinks you're capable of doing. So he's watching Obi-Wan here and he's thinking, he's got this. Obi-Wan's going to do the right thing here. I trust him. But in the moment where he really feels like Obi-Wan needs him, he will step in. But he's not going to step in until he truly feels like there is no other alternative. I get the sense that Qui-Gon is one of those kinds of Jedi that is not overbearing. If he was a very, very traditional Jedi Master, he would have never tried to trade Anakin in the first place because Anakin was too old. And he, he was also trained by Count Dooku, who was a very unconventional Jedi himself. Uh, if you go listen to the audio drama Dooku Jedi Lost, great audio drama. At least I thought so. Some people have mixed opinions on it. But it does a really good portrait of portraying how Qui-Gon and Dooku have a unique interpretation of the Force and the prophecies and the doctrine of the Jedi than the rest of the Jedi Order. So if you use that kind of ancillary material to recontextualize how Qui-Gon would have approached this situation, then I think you can explain it a little bit more. But like, if you don't have that context, I can totally see why you'd be like, dude, Qui-Gon, what, what are you waiting for? Like, show up. And fuck, he might not show up, but I feel like with the like three different scenes that they've shown of, of Obi-Wan trying to reach him, he's, he's got to show up. Gemma, do you have any of your own predictions? I mean, that was probably one. I'm a, I'm, my other prediction is Reva's probably not going to make it past next episode. I think that's really it. I think we've talked about most of the other things. Those, those are the two things I feel pretty confident about right now. All right. Well, if there's any other plot points from Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 5 that you guys want to bring up, speak now or forever hold your peace. I just have one random thing, which I think is really interesting. Reva uses the word slaughtered when she's talking to Obi-Wan about the experience in the temple. And I don't know why. I just keep picking up on, I've been rewatching everything recently, but I keep picking up on that word in association with Anakin and his actions before he transitions to Darth Vader. Going back to Tatooine when he's taking, you know, revenge for his mother. And then, like, it's just really interesting that that's kind of the animals. I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. Right. Slaughtered them like animals. Exactly. I just think it's so interesting. It's it's an interesting kind of recurrence that we're seeing. I think any parallels are valid and intentional. So that's my reading of it all. So with all of our points being made and every single detail being talked about and touched upon, if you noticed anything that we didn't, it doesn't exist. That brings us to our final thoughts and our ratings of Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 5. Gemma, as our guest, you get to start us off with finishing us off. Can you please give us your final thoughts on this episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi and your rating? Final thoughts. Amazing. Love the character development of Reva. Love 
the deepening of the relationship that we see between Obi-Wan and Anakin rating. I'm going to go high, y'all. I'm going to give it 9.6 of those little explosive bombs that Tala had. Thermal detonators. Thank you. Yes, thermal detonators. There we go. That might be the highest Kenobi rating this season. We'll see. Gardner, you're up next. What are your final thoughts and your rating of Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 5? I absolutely love this episode. This is my favorite episode of the series so far. Between the character development for Riva, the great character study and flashbacks between Obi-Wan and Anakin slash Darth Vader, promise of a great showdown next episode, good action. You know, a lot of times in previous episodes, I've really noticed the volume and uh, some other weird inconsistencies with the editing of fight scenes and stuff like that. None of that this episode. This was this was a lean, mean Star Wars machine. And for that reason, I'm giving this episode 9.4 spinning lightsabers out of 10. Absolute banger. I just wish we could have seen uh, Reva take that lightsaber and fly away like they do in Rebels. But uh, maybe uh, that doesn't translate so well to live action. Awesome, awesome. I also, like I said, enjoyed this episode a lot. It's another example of everything I want in an Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show. It's got good shit for him, good shit for little Leia, which I wasn't even expecting in this series, good shit for Anakin slash Hayden Christensen, which I wanted, and good shit from a character I didn't even know was going to be in it, Reva, never even heard of before this because she didn't exist. So good shit all around for me. I love it. Love the fight scenes. 9.3 ladders out of 10 for me. Love this episode. That brings us to the conclusion of our discussion of Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 5. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you stick around for Part 6 next week. Where we have a special guest, Palpa Memes. If you're familiar with Star Wars Twitter, you'll be familiar with that name. If not, check him out. Check out all of our past Kenobi episodes as well if you're interested in those and you haven't seen Parts 1 through 4. But we hope you, like I said, appreciated Part 5. And we'd like to thank you, Gemma, for taking the time to join us today and talk to us. Y'all, it was so fun. Hell yeah. So like I said, that does bring us to the end of the episode. And a big thank you again to Gemma. And a thank you to our listeners as well. Thank you to our recurring listeners as well as our new listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're not familiar with our other episodes, then we hope you check them out. Like we said at the top of this episode, we have full episodes releasing every Friday, which means we have an episode tomorrow for you with Gardner and I interviewing Rick Paulus, the author who, if you've been on Twitter, you've seen him. But if not, check out his books. He's got Eastern Span and The Palmer Hotel, which are available to buy directly from him. You can find him on Twitter at RealRickPaulus and just message him and be like, I want one of your books and he'll send them to you. But check him out. That's our interview for tomorrow. Some information about him will be in the podcast description for this episode as well as tomorrow's episode. But if you want to check him out before tomorrow, look at the description below. That's tomorrow's episode. We also have, obviously, other bonus episodes during the week. Mondays, we talk about our short film. Just listen to those episodes and you'll figure out what they're on. We're on like episode eight of that miniseries, so you'll figure it out by listening to them. Tuesdays, we go through the MCU. Sometimes those episodes release on Wednesdays, like this week, Captain America, the first Avenger dropped on Wednesday, yesterday. So check that out. Next week, we're doing the Avengers. That'll either come out on Tuesday or Wednesday, but get excited for that. 
And next week, we have the last episode, like I said, of Kenobi. So once that's done, we'll have to find out a new miniseries for this Thursday release. But stay tuned for all of those future episodes. Check out our back catalog of episodes as well. We have so many interviews with so many people involved in the filmmaking process. So check them all out. Some really, really good ones in there. Really not even one bad one. So literally check them all out. If you're interested in anything, look at all the MCU episodes, like I said, Monday episodes. Find us anywhere. You listen to podcasts. That's right. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the free ones. Search the letters G-D-T and we'll pop up. That's right. Those are three letters. G-D-T standing for Good Data Podcast. And you can find us on all those platforms anywhere. And you can subscribe to us. Never miss an episode. And also leave a five-star review. You don't get anything for leaving five-star review, but you do get to make us feel happy. So we appreciate those five-star reviews. Please send them along. Make us smile. Make our day. Do it for us. That's where you'll find us. If you also want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter and on Instagram at GoodDataPod and on Facebook at GDT Podcast. We post all of our episodes there, so you'll never miss one. But if you subscribe to us on one of those platforms where you listen to podcasts, you'll also never miss an episode either. So find us anywhere, social media, on the podcasting platforms, GDT, at GoodDataPod, at GDT Podcast. We'll see you tomorrow for our interview with Rick Paulus. Thank you for tuning in, folks. As always, we love you, and we'll see you on the next one. War continues to rage across the globe. Our valiant men and women have been winning battles as the war continues to march on. Hollywood continues to produce clone after clone of the films you used to enjoy. There have been some defectors, but most remakes continue to assault your sensibilities. Our small troop of trained experts continue to expose these imposters while showing Hollywood a better way. Support the invasion of the remake by listening, reviewing, and subscribing. Your knowledge is power. We're all in this together. Spread the word. Subscribe to Invasion of the Remake on all major podcast providers. New episodes dropping weekly at invasionoftheremake.wixsite.com slash podcast.